Welcome to 5-Minute Mythstoria from the localmythstorian.com. Bite-sized chunks of curious history from Cheshire, Staffordshire and Derbyshire. And a little series I thought I'd share with you while I'm working on the next phase of the project. Growing up in Stoke-on-Trent, it was impossible to avoid the tale of Molly Lee. The story of the witch buried in St John's Church in Burslem was a cultural touchstone across the city, still is, and the rite of passage that came with the dare to run around her tomb calling out a name had been just as much a feature in my grandparents' youth as it was in my own. Quite what was supposed to happen when you evoked a spirit wasn't clear. Not that it mattered too much. Few made it around the tomb the requisite three times, with the sense of impending dread that accompanied the dare, often resulting in a race off into the dark of the churchyard, well before the spell could be completed. We know that Molly Lee, or Margaret Lee, was born in 1685 in the village of Burslem, which at that time was a relatively remote settlement in the woods of North Staffordshire. We also know that Molly Lee died in late March 1748 and was buried on April the 1st of that year. Everything that happened in between, however, is mostly speculation. Over the years, a reappraisal of the Molly Lee story has seen her cast as the unwitting victim of 18th century cultural perception, at one end of that spectrum is a narrative that casts Molly as an unfortunate soul, odd-looking and peculiar, cursing the local beer and milk, forever jabbering away with a pet blackbird. A sympathetic view of the story of Molly Lee the Witch that is so uh, entrenched in folklore in Stoke-on-Trent. At the other end, there's an idea that she was a relatively wealthy local businesswoman and that she was in fact the target of mean-spirited local men who were envious of her wealth and standing. And that second view has become particularly popular in recent years following the discovery of Molly's last will and testament in local archives. The document does indeed reshape the image of Molly Lee and pours scorn on much of the myth attributed to her life. More than this though, in the document we get a touching insight into a real character – she makes provision in a will for the widows of Burslem. Where on earth, then, did we get this idea of Molly Lee, the witch? Dogs, cats, hares, toads, all manner of animals have come to be associated with the figure of the witch due to their association as familiars. Familiars were thought to be demonic companions of the witch, through which they would do their bidding and whose worldly appearance could be disguised as an animal. Molly's blackbird would have been an unfortunate and easy candidate for such a role. But beyond that, there's nothing really to tie her aesthetic to the traditional view of the rural British witch. I emphasise this here for the purposes of what I relay next, because discounting the whole idea of Molly Lee the witch brings her story into a new and much more logical light. Instead, we must think of Molly Lee the ghost. That we have an eyewitness account of Molly's funeral is quite amazing. It's left to us thanks to an entry in John Ward's work, The Borough of Stoke-on-Trent, from 1843, in which Ward recounts the report of a conversation that took place in the year 1810 in the Turk's Head pub in Burslem. One of those two men recorded is an 82-year-old Ralph Lee, cousin of Molly, who discussed the issue of a burial with his friend, the 70-year-old John Talwright. Ralph! Do you remember your cousin Peggy, who lived at Jackfield and was buried across the way in the churchyard? I often remember, when I was younger, scampering about at a rate past the churchyard, afraid of seeing her boggart. Lee. Sure I do, for I was there at the burial and saw her laid quietly in the grave, east to west. 
But when we got back to Hamel, there was a pretty fuss amongst the bearers, for those that went in first to the house saw her sitting in the nook, knitting as she used to. I didn't see her myself, but Parson Spencer that buried her was fetched to lay the ghost to rest. And I don't really know how they did it, but Master Spencer, to the clerk and the sexton, with a lantern and candle, took up the coffin and dug the grave crossways and laid her in the shape of a blackbird and said, for seven years in the Red Sea. The old parson was fond of drink and the coffin bearers were full of it before the burial, and so when they came back again to bury her, I guess they were no more sober. Tell right. It was a strange concern, and I think I've heard your cousin's burial was on April Fool's Day, so I suppose it was an April Fool's joke. And there we can hear them making reference to the fact that Molly Lee's grave is at crossways in the churchyard today, not on the normal Christian alignment. It's buried on a different axis. So here we have a situation where Parson Spencer and apparently most of the burial congregation are drunk and acutely aware that the burial is taking place on April Fool's Day. Itself a tradition that by 1748 had already been in existence for at least 50 years in the manner that we know it today. The group returning to Molly's house for the wake seemed to have come up with the idea of claiming sight of a ghost. Whether this was designed to result in such quite an elaborate hoax or not, it seems that the fever of the night swept them up together with the wind of mischief, and the result of which saw the involvement of the equally drunk Parson Spencer arranging for her to be exhumed and reburied. Once underway, it would have taken a hell of a lot of courage to turn back on the ruse when we considered the nature of the circle affected, including close family and the church. And as I mentioned, it's wandering spirits or those that being may inclined to wander and haunt the living that are most commonly found buried at an alternative axis. It's a practice we see in dozens of examples across the Midlands and the northwest of England, with many more apparent throughout the British Isles. A report that Molly's ghost had been seen so soon after a death is precisely the kind of thing that would motivate such a reburial, the belief being that should she rise from the grave um, at a different orientation than that of the standard burials, her spirit would become confused and unable to locate the people and locations she wanted to haunt. It is exactly that kind of event that has inspired instances of grave or like that of Molly's throughout history. The idea of her being a witch, most likely, is just a later addition, born out of this view that she had a kind of odd appearance and quirky behaviours in life, and was also, of course, quite untouchable because of her status as a local landowner. And I suspect often in conflict with Parson Spencer and the church folk who were perhaps, in her eyes, lacking a bit of moral fibre. Unless, of course, they really did See, Molly, the old lady, sat knitting by the fire in her cottage, blackbird atop her shoulder, three hours after she'd been laid to rest. Five Minute Mythstoria is presented and researched by me, Eli Lewis Lysett. And if you enjoy it, perhaps you'll sign up at thelocalmythstorian.com, where you'll find all kinds of stuff to do with the curious local histories and folklore of Cheshire, Derbyshire and Staffordshire.